Heavenly Father, we are thankful that we can gather together uh, on a Sunday afternoon uh, in, in this congregation to offer you praise and worship. Lord, we know that we are joined with your saints uh, across um, this region, across this state, this country, and this world, and it is a special thing that we are called your church, your body, your bride, uh, and Lord, that you have brought us here and that you have placed us here and that you have given us this privilege to worship you. Lord, I pray for myself. I pray that you would protect my words, help me to be faithful to your word, help me to preach faithfully uh, what you would have me to say. And Lord, I pray that uh, we would be encouraged as a church this morning. I pray that your name would be honored and glorified. And Lord, we uh, look to you now uh, as we open your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to begin by reading Jeremiah chapter 11. Uh, this will be where the sermon, um, this will be where our sermon is based. And Jeremiah 11, I'm going to start by reading the first eight verses. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Hear the words of this covenant and speak to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. You shall say to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Cursed be the man who does not hear the words of this covenant that I commanded your fathers when I brought them out of the land of Egypt from the iron furnace, saying, Listen to my voice and do all that I command you. So shall you be my people, and I will be your God, that I may confirm the oath that I swore to your fathers to give them a land flowing with milk and honey as at this day. Then I answered, so be it, Lord. And the Lord said to me, Proclaim all these words in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. Hear the words of this covenant and do them. For I solemnly warned your fathers when I brought them up out of the land of Egypt, warning them persistently, yet even to this day, saying, Obey my voice. Yet they did not obey or incline their ear, but everyone walked in the stubbornness of his evil heart. Therefore I had brought upon them all the words of this covenant, which I commanded them to do, but they did not. Well, uh, as we are, as I walked out of my house this morning, um, I was reminded that cold weather is coming. Uh, it seemed like this morning was a little chillier than it's been, and uh, and as this time approaches, I always, uh, I was, I get a little bit um, disappointed when I walk out and feel that chill air. Uh, it reminds me that um, you know sickness season is coming, and colds and flus and all sorts of sicknesses become prevalent. Um, and as this season comes, the, the reason that I don't like it, um, and, and for many reasons, but one being uh, I'm always reminded of, of doctor visits, right? And I think we all know someone uh, who, who will, refuses to go to the doctor, right? No matter what, how they're feeling, whatever symptoms they're showing, they just insist that they're, that they're good, right? And that they don't need to go to the doctor. Uh, and maybe, you, maybe that person is you. Uh, maybe that person is your, your, your parent or your spouse or, or someone that you know. And if you don't know anyone like that, uh, you do now because that person is me and you met me. Um, so I, uh, but I'm, I'm always reminded that I don't like going to the doctor. To me, it just seems like a hassle and I feel like I'm just going to be all right. Um, and something, especially over the last couple of years that I've been learning is that it's really important to pay attention to your symptoms. Um, because a lot of the times, uh, you know, there's, there can be this extreme where you, you start to panic over every little symptom that your body shows. And, and I don't think that's necessarily healthy either, but there is this reality where our bodies have been 
uh, created to show us symptoms, to point us to things that are not right inside of our bodies. Uh, for example, I know that I grew up my whole life thinking that heart attacks are something that just kind of come out of nowhere, right? That there's, that, that it's just, it's sudden and there's nothing that you can do about it. Uh, but I actually recently learned that that's not the case, that heart attacks actually most of the time show lots of symptoms uh, leading up. And if you pay attention to the symptoms that your body uh, is, is showing you, uh, and then you can actually seek medical treatment. And in most cases, when medical treatment is sought out, uh, then this, this thing can be taken care of. And that's, that's actually the case for, for most diseases. Um, and then this passage that we're looking at uh, this afternoon in Jeremiah chapter 11, we are looking at the people of Judah, God's people, uh, and Jeremiah has come to them as a prophet sent by God with a word for his people. And Jeremiah, in many ways, is playing the part of a physician. Uh, he is observing the symptoms of Judah, and they are showing many symptoms. Uh, and yet Judah has become very stubborn at this point. Uh, they're like me. They are uh, oblivious to their symptoms. They are choosing to either uh, deny that they're there in the first place or else sweep them under the rug and do nothing about it. But uh, in our passage here, as we read, Judah does have a deadly disease. They have been diagnosed with an evil heart. And this disease is a lethal one, but it is also a curable one if treatment is sought out. And this is an important distinction, especially in this passage here, that the outward actions, the, the symptoms that we show, uh, they are not in and of themselves the primary problem with any person, uh, but they simply point us to a much deeper and a much darker condition, uh, the condition of an evil heart. Jesus himself reminds us of this truth in Matthew chapter 12 when he says, for it is out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. See, if, if it was true that, any, that sinful, outward sinful actions were our primary problems as a people, then the way that we go about this life, the way that we minister to people, it would look radically different, wouldn't it? Be, because if the primary problem is an outward action that we're committing, then there could be all sorts of these um, processes, these seven-step things, these behavioral uh, changes. And, and if we could just get really good at modifying behavior, then, then we could find ourselves in a perfect world, right? Uh, and yet, we recognize that that's not the case. And you've probably experienced it in your own life, uh, and, and potentially if you have children in the lives of your children as well. Uh, I have a two-year-old uh, at home, and uh, she is lovely, but she is a sinner uh, like the rest of us. And we can stop some behaviors, right? We can, we can modify certain behaviors, uh, maybe curb them, prevent them, lessen them. Uh, but it's almost always the case that if we're able to just have a moment of success in that, though the same some different behavior just pops up somewhere else and, and we're just running around putting out fires, right? The reason that is, is because our primary issue as a people, as humans, is not that we act badly, it's that our hearts are wicked and evil. And, it, and our hearts manifest that wickedness in sinful actions. And as we look at this passage in Jeremiah chapter 11, 
and uh, we can really uh, start to do a whole lot of work here. We can uh, kind of put on a different hat here and, and, and act as though we are physicians and we are observing a patient here, right? Judah being our patient. And we can begin to observe symptoms uh, in this people of Judah. Now, of course, when we are looking at these symptoms, we're not primarily looking for symptom treatment, but for person treatment. Uh, and, and yet, you can find out a whole lot about a person and their condition by observing their symptoms. So, let's begin to observe some symptoms. I direct your attention to verse 3. God says, You shall say to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Cursed be the man who does not hear the words of this covenant. Now, uh, this covenant that God is speaking of here is specifically, he's calling back to the covenant that he made with his people at Sinai. Uh, you'll remember when Moses went up on the mountain and received the Ten Commandments, among other things. Uh, but more broadly, what he's referring to God is, is the covenant that runs throughout Scripture. Uh, and we recognize that, that God, uh, with his people, uh, has entered into relationship with us. Right? And primarily, we see in Scripture, the way that God has decided to enter into relationship is through covenant. Right? Through covenants, we can learn about God. He teaches us about himself. Uh, we can also learn how we are to obey God, what he expects from us, and how we can live to please him. And so God is recalling this covenant that he made with his people, but he is also exposing a symptom in the people of Judah. They do not listen to his covenant. They do not listen to God. And he has, sent, has, he has clearly established covenants with his people. Uh, and not only that, he's also sent them many prophets, godly and faithful men, who have been sent to his people so that when they do veer from the covenant that God has established with them, the prophets might call them back to it to remind them that who God is and what he requires of us. And not only that, but that he desires a relationship with us. And so the prophets have come time and time again to Judah to call them back, to remember the love that, they ha that God has for them, to remember the relationship that he's established with them. And yet this people have no interest in listening to his covenant or to his prophets who, who redirect their attention to it time and time again. Every time that God draws near to his people, they run the other direction, and they respond with violence towards God. Many of the prophets have been killed, and actually later in this chapter, we read that there is a plot to take Jeremiah's life as well, because he has been another faithful prophet coming to preach the word of God to the people, and yet the people will have none of it. They will not listen to God. And it's easy for us when we read these passages to look at the people of Judah and wonder about how, how ignorant they could be, how foolish they could be to ignore such a loving and, and persistent God, even in the midst of their sin, to be called back to the love of a father and, and to, to revolt against that. Yet I think it's also far too often that we forget how quickly we refuse to listen to God. He's given us his word, his scriptures. And, and it's, it's far too often that, that we use these as kind of decorations or collectibles. 
not so much as rules to live our lives by, not so much as, as directives that, that redirect us to the love of God when we've been running from him. See, we're like the people of Judah in this way. We've got a symptom where we refuse to listen to God, where we recoil when he draws near to us, where we run deeper into our sin when he would call us back to himself. This is true for Judah, and this is also true for us. And this will also lead us to observe a second symptom in the people of Judah in this uh, Jeremiah chapter 11. And verses, I want to read verses 4 and 8 for us. Verse 4 says, uh, Cursed is the man who does not hear the words of this covenant that I commanded your fathers when I brought them out of the land of Egypt from the iron furnace, saying, Listen to my voice and do all that I command you. So shall you be my people, and I will be your God. Again in verse 8, Yet they did not obey or incline their ear, but everyone walked in the stubbornness of his evil heart. Here we have a second symptom, which is a refusal to obey God. And there, there is a natural progression to this. Not only do they refuse to listen, but they now are refusing to obey. And now that I'm a parent, I can appreciate this a whole lot more, but you, if you've ever been with children in general, or maybe you've recognized this in yourself, we, we recognize that there's a general truth, right, that just because you don't listen to someone doesn't give you an excuse to not obey them, right? A lot of the times people might want to plead ignorance. We don't get to plead ignorance when it comes to obeying God. If, if we have ignorance in when it, what it, we need to do to obey him, it's because we were not listening. And that is no excuse to disobey God. And yet we see in Jeremiah chapter 11, uh, verses 4 and 8, that there is a natural second symptom flowing out of the first, that the, because they have not been listening, uh, they also are not obeying God. And so Judah is left with no excuse. They've received the covenants, they've received the word through the prophets and through the faithful men that God has been sending to them, and yet they are living their lives in disobedience as they turn their backs to God. They bow down to false gods, they're living promiscuous lives, they're oppressing the poor, and they're failing to love their families well. If you read through the book of Jeremiah, we're getting one snapshot here, but you'll see that Judah right now is in a bad place. They have fallen far from where God has called them to be. They are actually, at this point in history, indistinguishable from the surrounding nations, which is a shame because Judah has been called out from the world by God to be a light shining in darkness, to be different from the surrounding worlds, to be holy and to be a blessing to the nations. And yet, as God is sending this word to them, we recognize that they, their light has been extinguished. They are no longer any different from the surrounding darkness, but they have been plunged into it willfully. And this forces us to ask ourselves the question, I think, would someone be able to distinguish us from the surrounding world? Is our light shining as it should be on a hill, or have we been plunged into darkness? When we go about our lives, whether it's at work, whether it's at, at a, at, at our, uh, in our families' gatherings, perhaps, whether it's at a school or wherever it might be, 
are we distinguishable from the other people? Is there something that's different about us because God has called us to be different? Or do we live our lives like practical atheists, like Judah did? People that might give lip service to God, but practically speaking, living as though there is none. Living just like everyone else does. Indulging ourselves in pleasure. Living only for ourselves. Refusing to listen to God. Refusing to obey him as well. I think that we are at times just as guilty as Judah in this area as well as we refuse to obey him. Which leads us to our third and final symptom that we can observe in this chapter of Jeremiah 11, which is an abandonment of God in favor of idols. And this, I think, again, is a natural progression. They have refused to listen. They have refused to obey. And so we see that the, the land of Judah, the people of Judah, are now at a place where they, ha, they have altogether abandoned God in favor of their idols. Listen to verses 10 and 13. Verse 10 reads this way. They have turned back to the iniquities of their forefathers who refused to hear my words. They have gone after other gods to serve them. Verse 13 says... For your gods are, have become as many as your cities, O Judah, and as many as the streets of Jerusalem are the altars you have set up to shame, altars making offerings to Baal. And we really shouldn't be surprised when we get to this point in the chapter after learning that they have failed to listen and have failed to obey, that Judah is living like, like Egypt, practically speaking. I mean, you could, at this point in their lives, you could walk five blocks in Judah and you'd encounter five different gods, idols set up to the worship of these false gods, completely indistinguishable from, from these pagan nations that are surrounding them. Each city has laid claim to their own special god. And Judah is full of pagan worship. And as we read about this decline, it's hard for your heart not to break as you watch the people of God plunging themselves into this sin, as it goes deeper and deeper and deeper, and they're so far from where God has called them to be. Their symptoms are so clear. It's so obvious. And yet they're completely ignorant to them, as though nothing is wrong. And we might think that the modern world comparison to this, to Judah at this state, might be something like India or China, right? With little idols sitting on shelves. But I, I think that we can also forget that here at home, in our own lives, in our own cultures, we are full of idols. I mean, here, we have idols that are as many as our cities, right? God, we have as many gods as we have cities, and that if you think about it, just about every major city has some sort of like professional or collegiate sports team, don't they? And we'll like champion them and we'll defend them against critics and we'll, we'll, make our, we'll build our lives around them, right? We tithe to them, right? We'll, we'll refuse, we'll, we'll refuse to, to cut the cost of cable, right? And, and, and so that we, because we got to watch that game. But, but do we prioritize that over tithing to the Lord? We'll buy the jerseys, we'll buy the hats, right? We'll, we'll get cables so we can watch our shows. We have all of these idols, all of these things that we prop up in our lives, things that are non-negotiables, right? Things that we couldn't live without. 
and we've just populated our lives with them. These things that take priority in our lives over God. I think that in this third symptom, we, like Judah, are guilty and express this symptom as well. I think that God has taken a backseat in our lives at many times to our idols. And I think that we've spent enough time observing symptoms in, in this passage now. I think that as we are coming here, looking at this passage as, as physicians of sorts, looking at the lives of the people in Judah, we can come to a diagnosis. And with the symptoms that we've observed, I think, I think that the diagnosis is alarming. I think that, that like a man coughing up dried blood, this is something that screams for immediate attention. The diagnosis that we see in Judah is an evil heart. And the reason that this is so important, the reason that the diagnosis needs to be so immediate and so severe and so, so critical is because of the implications of what it means to have an evil heart. The implications of an evil heart is death. This is a lethal disease. To have an evil and a wicked heart is to not be able, in the first place, to obey God at all. Our desires are not in line with his. Judah, in this passage, we see that they, they have no interest in following God. They have fallen so far from him. And, and when we read, what are the implications of that? What is one deserving when they're living this way? Well, I think that we can only expect the punishment due for sinning against a holy and just God. You read in verse 15 what God says to his people. What right has my beloved in my house when she has done many vile deeds? Can even sacrificial flesh avert your doom? Can you then exult? You think about in a marriage relationship where a spouse is continually unfaithful to their, to their other. Can you expect communion to continue there when there is nothing but lying and unfaithfulness? No, I think that what we can expect from this diagnosis, all that we should be able to expect, is the divorce papers that finalize the separation. And this is serious. And this is where our chapter ends. God promising destruction on, on Judah for what they've done. Maybe you think, well, great, Dom, why'd you choose this passage uh, to come and preach to us? It's because even this is gracious and that we recognize that God has given us his word to reveal the symptoms in our lives so that we don't have to die from the disease. But when we choose to ignore the symptoms that are so prevalent in our lives, we recognize that it's only a matter of time until the disease takes us. But when we look at our symptoms as, as they're so obviously shown in Judah, and when we're being honest with ourselves, we recognize that those symptoms are prevalent in our own lives as well. And, and when we notice what the actual disease is, we also have to recognize that God has told us that the fate of Judah is not inevitable. That this disease that we have, yes, it's, it's vicious and it is lethal, but it is not without a cure. 
But God himself has provided a cure for this disease that we have, for the the cure for an evil heart. What is this treatment? What is this cure? Well, in a sense, it's a heart transplant. There's going to be another prophet who comes to the same people by the name of Ezekiel. I'm sure you're familiar with him. And he's going to come and he's going to preach and he's going to prophesy many of the same messages that Jeremiah himself did. And Ezekiel is actually going to experience the severity of the punishment. He is going to watch as Jerusalem falls, as Judah falls, and as they're taken out into captivity to Babylon. But, but do you know what he's going to prophesy to this people from God? This people who are in the midst of their sin, this people who are in the midst of their punishment. Ezekiel is going to prophesy this. Listen from Ezekiel 36, verses 24 through 28. God giving the prescription and the rehabilitation instructions for his people. He says, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my, uh, I'm sorry, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. You see, first God gives us this prescription, right? He, he is speaking to his people who are scattered, who are outside of their, of their land, who are wondering if they are going to receive those divorce papers from God. And he's saying to them, no, but I will be faithful to you. You will be my people. You will return to me. I will bring you back to myself. I will sprinkle you clean. I will make you righteous. You will be my people and I will be your God. He's reminding them that it will not ultimately depend on their faithlessness, but their relationship with with God will depend wholly on his faithfulness to them. And he is faithful. Hebrews 10 is going to expand this concept that God was prophesying to his people in Ezekiel. Listen to Hebrews 10. Uh, This here, uh, it says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. God provides our justification, our righteousness that we don't have in ourselves. He provides it for us through the blood of Jesus Christ. We recognize that he sent his son into the world and that his son was going to do a work in this world and in us. That our heart of stone, our evil and wicked heart would be taken from us and would be replaced with a heart of flesh, a heart that loves God, a heart that desires to follow him, a heart that is found innocent and guiltless in his sight. One that is deserving of all of the blessings of our marriage union with him. 
one that has not been found faithless, but one that has been found faithful, just as Christ himself was faithful. And as lovely as that truth is, it doesn't stop there. That's the heart transplant that we get. We get Christ's righteousness. Praise the Lord for that. But we don't just look forward to a future blessing here. No, we look forward and, and are now getting to experience a present blessing. That we don't just get a heart transplant that's one day going to save us, but one, and we also receive these re- rehabilitation instructions so that we can be healthy now so that our symptoms can be dealt with, so that our disease can be dealt with, and we don't have to wait for a future to do that. But God is doing it in and through us now. In that verse 27 of the Ezekiel passage, it says, God says, And I will put my spirit within you and will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You see, what God had in mind, what he was planning for and what he has now accomplished, was, was that he would place his spirit in his people. He wasn't just going to justify them so that they would have a place in heaven in the future, but he was going to sanctify them by the spirit so that they would, they would be relit, that, that our light that, that has been darkened would shine once more so that we could go forward into the world and be distinguishable, be different. So that the grace of God that has been poured into our hearts would also shine forth into the rest of the world. So that the rest of this world that has wicked and evil hearts that, that, have, or that are displaying these symptoms that are so concerning might be able to look at us and we might be able to come with them and, and give them the prescription. That the blood of Jesus has handled this. That you don't have to die. You don't have to experience what your actions have earned, but rather you can experience what the actions of Christ have earned. That the faithfulness of God can be what defines you. That is what is offered to you through Jesus Christ, through his work, and through the Spirit who has been sent to you. You see, like Judah, God once more has come forth and has invited us back into relationship with himself. And he has revealed the fullness of that plan, that he spared not even his own son, but gave up all to invite you into perfect and undefiled communion with himself. And that is beautiful. And as he extends his arm to you in invitation, what is your response? Will you recoil like the people of Judah did? Will you lovingly and gladly accept? Walk in communion with God. Walk in the unity that he has purchased for you. Look at this prescription, these rehabilitation instructions to walk by the spirit, not by the flesh. To lean on him and not on our own abilities. To walk in union with him. If you're aware of your symptoms, seek treatment. The treatment is in Christ. And the treatment is perfect. And it is a beautiful cure that we have. Would you pray with me?